Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B Guy here, and today, the H1B Guy Live, October 12th, 2022, where I'll be discussing, will final action dates for EB2 for all chargeability be established? And more immigration reform included in the National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process, and also by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner Mob Squad has a solution. Join the squad. Well, today is Wednesday, again, October the 12th, a little after 3 p.m. Eastern here in the U.S. Um, happy to be back with you here on another live stream on this uh, this Wednesday. Um, did my last live stream last Wednesday on October the 5th, um, where we did a little bit of a November Visa Bulletin preview. I talked about STEM uh, being included in the NDAA and also took your questions and comments. Um, I wanted to start today off on Saturday, this past Saturday, um, on October the 8th, I posted the H-1B Guy grades for uh, my November 2022 Visa Bulletin predictions. Um, and while a lot of you haven't had a chance to maybe watch that video, I did want to uh, talk about something that I covered kind of towards the end of the post. Um, and what I thought was kind of the most interesting thing that came from um, the November 2022 Visa Bulletin. And that was when I discussed Section E that was posted uh, really at the very bottom of the visa bulletin. And Section E talked about visa availability in the employment second category. And it went on to say, quote, increased demand in the employment second category may necessitate the establishment of a worldwide final action date in the coming months to hold number use within the maximum allowed under the fiscal year 2023 annual limit. This situation will be continually monitored and any necessary adjustments will be made accordingly. So, you know, why do I want to talk about this, right? Um, I think that we've seen and, and I've seen for the most part, uh, all chargeability refers to rest of the world, right? And, you know, the interesting thing is that, you know, annually, right? Uh, when we look at the 140,000 annually, 
and you know 7% right of of that maximum allowed uh you know is is a little over 9000 right um 9000 available uh, employment based total employment based visas for um, for all categories and and so I think when you you think about what what that means right now that they're talking about establishing a worldwide final action date um, you know for me that is that's interesting because you know each country's given nine thousand eight hundred annually and now we're talking about we've never really seen a final action date for, for all chargeability. Um, the fact that this is coming up kind of led me down the path to say, okay, well, what are the I-140 approval numbers for, for 2021 look like? And so uh, in the video description is a link to um, the I-140 uh, immigrant petition for alien worker number of petitions received and current status approvals. Um, and, and this is data that goes from uh, 2011 through Q1 and Q2 of, of 2021. Um, but I don't see really a, a, a significant increase uh, from all chargeability. You know, this also includes... Philippines, South Korea, and Brazil. Um, and when I look at, at EB2 for, let's just say, all countries, and this is Q1, Q2, um, and we look at number of approvals so far through Q1 and Q2 of 2021 is a little over 14,000 um, with pending, right? Pending cases at 17,000. So, you know, that's little over 31,000 uh, total. And if we were just to look at, again, as I mentioned, uh, Brazil and EB2 uh, combined a little over 1,200 in terms of approved and pending through Q1, Q2. Uh, and looking at the Philippines um, as another example here, and we look at through Q1, Q2 of 2021 and EB2, it's only 160. Um, I can look at South Korea and tell you that for EB1 and EB2, uh, total through Q1, Q2 is is one a little over a thousand. So if we just take these numbers and double them, um, I'm really interested to see how this overall demand um, is going to necessitate, as they allude to, uh, a final action date for for worldwide wide limits. Um, I, I think that it's really interesting, and and it says a lot. Um, it says that. All of the rapid forward movement and advancement that, that we've seen in EB3 um, during 2021 and really EB2 through this 2020 year, um, now that they're talking about establishing uh, a final action for, for the rest of the world, it, it lends itself to believe that, that as is, the bulletin as is could have a a probability to remain as, as we see it um, with probably EB1 remaining current and minimal movement uh, going forward in, in other categories. And so uh, I thought this was definitely worth talking about. You know, I've used these I-140 approval numbers uh, pretty significantly um, as part of some of my, my data analytics and reasoning when I do my 
my my visa bullets and predictions because you know the overall calculations can kind of give you an idea right when we've had the spillover numbers as to where those numbers are going to be allocated and a lot of it of course when we we look at the total right um you know you you can look at india and see why the situation you know is what it is which is to say over the last 10 years or 2000 all of 2011 through q1 and q2 of 2021 um there's been over 338,000 eb2 i140s approved for india and you can break it down all you want but there's only nine nine thousand eight hundred available for all preferences annually per country um and so we can see why this this issue this backlog that i've talked about for the better part of a couple years has has been created um the interesting thing that that i did notice when i was looking at at some of china's numbers specifically um in in eb2 and and that is uh, it looks like China for for EB2 could have one of the lowest from 2021, just based on what I see uh, going back to probably 2018. Um, so, you know, a little over 4,000 cases total through Q1 and Q2, just doubling that, um, assuming that those numbers would double, you know, in, in Q3 and Q4 uh, would take it back to, to kind of the 2018 timeframe. Um, whereas in 19 and, and 20, we saw well over 10,000 EB2 cases, uh, specifically for China. So that's why you see, um, you know, final action dates in that, that 2019 timeframe for, for China. Uh, so some really interesting things happening right now, uh, buried down in the very bottom of the visa bolts. And again, in section E, um, you know, it, it very clearly stated that increased demand in EB2, um, specifically for worldwide, could necessitate a final action date coming in uh, the next few months. Um, we can go back to over the last 12 months when there's been discussions about uh, possible uh, corrective action for uh, EB4, EB2, um, and even EB3 that we saw really at the beginning of last fiscal year. Um, so we'll continue to, to keep our eyes on this for sure. Um, I'm really interested to see once the reporting is completed on Q3 and Q4 numbers from USCIS on their overall um, I-140 immigrant petitions for alien workers. Uh, once, the, once those numbers are, are fully um, publicized uh, to get a good idea of, of where we stand. Um, but just kind of through the first two quarters of of, of 2021, uh, again, a little over 16,000 total applications, um, total petitions, if you will, for uh, for India and a little over 4,000 uh, for China. Um, but all in EB2 specifically is, is the category that I'm, I'm referring to here. Uh, and then when we look at, again, for all chargeability, right, that's, that's all countries outside of uh, Korea, Brazil, the ones that, that were previously mentioned, Philippines, China, and, and India, um, you know, that number's 31,000, uh, a little over 31,000. So doubling that gets us to 62, 63,000, which is actually less than we saw in 2020, 2019, uh, 2018. It would be the lowest number uh, for 
all countries uh, going back to uh, to fiscal year 2000 and uh, 2015. Um, so again, the the effect of this when we look at it is okay. Uh, why then are we seeing this come up now? Um, and I don't have an answer for it. It's very puzzling to me. I'd love to hear from from many of you to know, um, you know, kind of what you're hearing and maybe some of your reasoning as to why this is something that um, seems to be rearing its head at at, at this point. Uh, the other thing that I, I wanted to just briefly mention that I did cover in the H-1B guy grades the, the for November 2022 visa bulletin predictions versus the actual bulletin released um, that was missing from the November visa bulletin, although USCIS has gone on record and stated that there would be 200,000 employment-based visas available for fiscal year 2023, um, that's yet to be confirmed by the Department of State in the visa bulletin. Uh, so I'm curious to see if December's visa bulletin will include uh, the overall employment-based preferences available for uh, fiscal year 2023 for both employment and, and for family, because um, we we see kind of the spillover that's been occurring in, in family-based visas over the last uh, last couple of years. Uh, so I'm just curious if, if that's something that has a, a possibility to, uh, to continue. Um, We'll be doing a Q&A. Um, I've got uh, one more uh, topic I want to discuss, the, the NDAA. Um, but I do see some questions or comments already in the chat. If you have other questions or comments, uh, curious to see what your thoughts are around uh, the possibility of final action dates being established for all chargeability or rest of the world or row as, as we refer to it. Um, why do you think that's something that's currently coming up? You know, I just covered the I-140 numbers um, that are through Q1 and Q2 of, of fiscal year 2021 um, that don't really show me that there's been significant demand increase. Now, maybe fiscal year 2022 shows a different number. Um, I would have to go through and, and comb through that data and, and try to find it. But I, again, you know, I, I think um, it's definitely confusing. It's a, absolutely a head scratcher and, and something that I'm sure tr- We'll, we'll continue to be trying to get a better understanding of and, and figure out as, as we move forward. But it does tell me that probably the beginning of the year, maybe January, February, March, we could see um, a final action established for, for EB2 for uh, all chargeability. And if that were to be the case, I'm assuming it'd probably be like a 2021 or maybe um, early 2022 cutoff. Uh, really, we'll, we'll definitely be following this very closely. Um, when I ask you again, if you haven't already, please make sure to like this video. Um, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and make sure you click the bell for notifications uh, so that you're notified anytime uh, we go live like we have here today on Wednesday, October the 12th, 2022. Uh, if you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy uh, channel and the H1B Guy platform, you can do so currently through the Super Chat function. Uh, during this live stream and if you're watching or listening to this at a later date you can also leave a super thanks um, any contributions that are made um, are invested back into the technology of this platform and i've got some exciting things that i'm really working on as we head into 2023 uh, so just really appreciate all of your support but mainly just make sure you're subscribed to this channel um, if you and like my content uh, that helps uh, get the word out in terms of what we do here. You know, been at this on this platform now for 
uh, a little over two years and had the opportunity to interact and meet thousands of individuals from all over the world. And just very grateful for that opportunity. Uh, for those of you who have kept up with this channel, know that doing these live streams is one of my favorite things to do. I try to do them almost on a weekly basis, typically on Wednesdays, either at 2 or 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, if you have questions or comments, please drop those in the chat and I will be getting to them. Uh, during last week's live stream uh, on October the 5th, um, I did talk briefly about, uh, you know, the foreign national STEM exemption being added to the NDAA, um, where Senator Durbin uh, and Senator Mike Rounds, uh, Republican senator from South Dakota, um, had... Uh, put into or an added an amendment to the NDAA, the Senate version of the NDAA, which exempts advanced STEM degree holders from green card limits. Um, and, you know, ultimately was initially part of kind of the CHIPS Act, but then was scrapped. Um, so here we see this kind of coming back around. And so I talked about that a little bit last week. And then late last week, earlier this week, um, it, I think news broke maybe Monday or Tuesday, uh, that the, the documented dreamers provisions, um, you know, for those of you who've, uh, again, I haven't had my friend D D uh, deep Patel on from improve the dream in almost a year now. Um, he's moved on to much higher media conglomerates, but he was recently interviewed by Fox news, um, and talked about uh, their provision, um, which, uh, you know, ultimately protect, protects documented dreamers uh, from aging out um, to be included uh, in the NDAA or even potentially some sort of, of omnibus. Um, but, you know, this has been one of the pieces of immigration reform that I've talked about um, uh, in advocacy, in support of now for the better part of almost two years. Uh, and, and that is to say that, you know, really, I, I hope that we can end this self-deportation um, for those aging out at 21, uh, that we can put an end to individuals who have lived in the U.S. who were brought here legally um, as minors by their parents uh, and help them avoid uh, international tuition as they go through U.S. Uh, institutions of higher education. Uh, but what's interesting about this uh, add-on to the NDAA is, you know, again, it, it does have some of that bipartisan support, um, you know, with with several senators signed on to it. It's it's had a lot of uh, Republican support um, in the House, so it will be interesting. And I think where I do want to warn everyone as we look at kind of re retaining some hope for immigration reform to be included in. Um, you know, maybe a larger uh, uh, bill um, like the NDAA or, you know, the omnibus is, is previously mentioned is that the more immigration reform we add into that, the higher probability of um, those amendments being excluded. Uh, I've said that I thought that the documented dreamer, um, you know, the America's Children's Act, that 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 text, that language uh, as a standalone had a had a high probability of of passing um, or potentially being included in some sort of larger overall budget bill uh, so here we are i think the stem has a has a good leg to stand on too uh, but when you know we look at kind of larger immigration reform as a whole uh, visa recapture 
uh, clearing the green card backlog. I think those are absolutely back burner um, immigration reform pieces. I did a live stream uh, back in September, uh, end of August, where I talked about is immigration reform for 2022 dead over. Um, and here it is kind of resurfacing itself in this October session. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see uh, what happens with the NDAA as it makes its way onto the Senate floor for debate, uh, what's going to be included and, and what's not. Um, but, you know, there's also the pieces of the dreamers, right? The Afghan refugees, immigration reform that could be included in one of these larger spending bills um, that we could see over the next uh, the next two and a half months. Or so, and you know, if you haven't already, uh, uh, um, to oh. looks like a first. I wanted to mention again, if you haven't already, please make sure to uh, to like this video, uh, subscribe channel here here on YouTube and make sure you click the bell for I am experiencing it looks like some connectivity issues so uh, if I'm freezing just hopefully the audio is uh, we'll move to the the Q&A portion here if you do have and I will go ahead and uh, and start working towards those right now. I'm going to make sure my connection's okay. Looks like I'm back online now. Just having some buffers still, still with me. First question comes from 2 May 2016. When can I expect my date to become current? Um... A while, 2026. I, I, I don't see 2016 becoming. Fortunately, uh, that's some bad news that I have to bear. But it is just the truth. It's a when you see years of corrective action occur. Um, I just don't see going to have uh, a future anytime soon at least at least that 10 year 3800 day calculating um there's a lot of folks that feel like with the 60,000 spillover there's going to be uh movement again in eb2 but again if we take kind of the news on final action dates being established for um possibly for all chargeability uh, for for rest of world, I, I think that's going to have a direct impact on um, India EB two forward movement over the next uh, several months. Savan asks, any progress on H one B stamping from US? I thought I saw something last week talking about this, but I've not heard any confirmation that this is currently an option. I could be incorrect in that, but. My understanding is that it, it, stamping still requires consular processing outside of the U.S. 
Um, I talked about it last week and I said, you know, this would be just a no brainer um, executive order or notice uh, for proposed rulemaking that that could easily change some of the processing um, and reduce some of the stress and anxiety for high school immigrants currently living and, and working in the U.S. Salon. Um, it's something that I'd love to see, but ha have you heard anything? I'm curious. Um, like I said, I, I saw something somewhere last week, but I didn't read into it further because it didn't look like a, a, what I'd call a super reliable source. Um, so again, that's something that I've spoke out in proposal and, and uh, support of. Um, I think it is a no-brainer. It, it's if it absolutely should be something that we have the capabilities to process here, specifically in some of our major metro areas, right? We think about if it were hub-based, um, New York, Washington, D.C., uh, Atlanta, Dallas, Miami, Chicago, San Francisco, um, Seattle, right? Denver, we, we could, that could be something that could be easily implemented and you know, maybe 15 to 20 of the major uh, U.S. metropolitans. Good question, though, Savan. Thank you. Mary asks, uh, FAQs mentioned that Roe might not be current. This might cause any EB2 get less numbers based on this. Would it be possible even EB2 priority might reach January 2014? Well, we're in April 2012 currently for final action, Mary, and... Um, I think you're absolutely right, as I've kind of alluded to here. When you see in that section E, it's talking about the possibility of uh, final action being established for uh, worldwide limits. Um, it does create some concern on uh, what does that mean for spillover. But understand, spillover, the 60,000 that are available are available in terms of uh, the first come first serve, right? It's based on the, 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 the date, the date of filing, um, the priority date specifically. Okay. And so, you know, when you, you take that into account and we look at, as I, I mentioned, um, for India and EB2 in the last 10 years, literally, you know, what's, what's been approved for India and it was 300 and 38,000 approvals, uh, not counting Q2, Q4 fiscal year 2021. And then if you compare that to all chargeability, right, like all countries during that same time frame, um, 583,000. So it's a difference of, of literally 250-ish thousand individuals. Um versus India and the rest of the world. Um, so it's a really, really tight number there. Um, Mary asks, if removing counting family members can be done through an executive action by president is correct. Why can't everyone request that instead of new bills? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think this is one of the um, uh, things that is discussed, but really kind of passed over, Mary, when we talk about um, dependents and spouses counting in the overall number use, right? 
So these I-140 petition numbers that I've been covering, right, that 338,000 in the last 10 years for India and EB2 specifically, um, let's just say that there's 1.5, right, uh, spouses or dependents, one and a half um, for all of those 338,000. And so that's why you see the, you know, the million, two million plus that we see in the backlog, because it's literally over 600,000 individuals from India and another um, 80 to 100,000 individuals uh, from China and then their spouses and dependents that are counted in that 1.2 million number um, that, that we've talked about a good bit. But that's a great point. Um, I think that's something that you know, ultimately, could it be done by executive action? Yes. But I think if the Biden administration has shown us anything, it is their uh, unwillingness to utilize executive action for employment-based immigration. They're not going to do it. They'll, they prefer a legislative approach completely. Uh, Sushian asks, EB3 ended 2014. Folks going to be lucky in the next few months. Um, well, you know, that's a good question because I really thought uh, that, you know, we continue to see kind of incremental movement for EB3 in both India and China for November. And then that didn't happen. That does give me cause for concern for movement going forward. Um, if I think we see any movement in EB3, I think it's going to continue to be incremental. 30 to 45 days, no more than 60. Um, so I don't think you're going to get lucky in the next few months unless something drastically happens. Um, I, I think you're probably looking into next fiscal year at this point, uh, most likely, maybe even a little bit further. Um, may, maybe we're getting all the way into um, uh, calendar year 2024 for you, Session. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, but I don't think you're going to get lucky in the next few months. No. Kalyani asked, my PD is May 2015 and EB2. Um, do I think the filing date can be current in this fiscal year? I don't. Um, I'm not sure that it will get through all of 2013 into 2014. Um, which you were kind of in this interesting bubble. Right. If if we go back and and look at at September, right, what was our our final dates in, in September and you were that December 2014 dates of filing was January 2015. You were literally like four months away, um, but I think it's going to take it a while, Kalyani, to get back there. I do. I think at least next year based on no movement in November section E now. Um, a lot going on. Absolutely. Any projections on October 2015 and EB2 filing date? Not final action. CA asks. Okay, so you're asking for projection. My projection on October 2015 for date of filing. Okay, so let's think about that, right? There was no movement for... Indie EB2 data filing. It was May 2012. You're asking for October 2015 at this point. 
Um, the end of next year, maybe. Um, I think that that's – I'm not hopeful for USCA, unfortunately, and that's dates of filing. Uh, maybe, maybe, this is pie in the sky, maybe it's that October 2023 bulletin for you on that dates of filing, and then they'll accept dates of filing. Maybe it pushes all the way to October 2015 um, after it ended this past fiscal year, you know, January 1st, 2015. I just wanted to ask you again one last time, make sure you like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, click the bell for notifications um, so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel or go live like we have here today on Wednesday, October the 12th. 2022 a little after 3 p.m eastern um have about 12 13 minutes left to do uh q a i do see a few more questions or comments so if you do have other questions or comments please drop those in the chat would love to uh, discuss those with you here over maybe the next 10 minutes or so savant says uh thanks liked and subscribed really appreciate that um again as i said that's uh if i have a small ask for anyone who joins these live streams or watches any of my content especially for those of you who are returning viewers uh please subscribe to the channel like my videos dislike my videos um <laughs> however you're feeling that day leave me a comment i'd love to hear from you and just appreciate um, all of your continued support. And for those of you who reach out to me, I appreciate the interactions and the opportunity to engage with you. Kanyani says, if the spiller is supposed to be given a first come first serve base, then the 60K should be given to India since last year row is used a good number. Um, that's the thought process, right? Because it's based on priority date, uh, oldest to, to, to most recent. Um, and that's why I think it's really confusing and there seems to be some, some mixed signals going on and a lot of lack of transparency occurring within USCIS and the Department of State. Uh, it, it appears to me, you know, as we've typically seen, we've seen advanced movement um, happen. Then we've seen corrective action happen two years in a row. So it, it leads me to believe you could say that that was done with every intention to utilize all of the remaining number usage, but why advance the dates uh, so far in advance? And then there's no availability in September. There's no number availability. So then you had to make it unavailable. It's just crazy. Uh, hey, Prabod, how are you? Um, is there any news discussion around increasing registration fees of $10, which is probably multiple fake applications? Yeah, Prabod, that's a great question. I've speculated on this one for two years now, um, which is to say, I don't think $100 is enough. Uh, I, I think if you want to really significantly increase the barrier to entry, um, you could make it a $100 non-refundable and you're still going to get 250, 300,000 applications, registrations. But if you really want to make that barrier to entry significant and make that non-refundable, now we're talking 500 to 1,000. Employers, specifically these uh, sub-vendors out there, third-party middlemen, um, that would change the game for those employers. Uh, they, they aren't going to risk the capital on you know somebody who's 
in the U.S. in a different status, who doesn't currently have a, a, an employment with them, that they won't make that investment. They won't do a 500 or a thousand. Now, some of the larger integrators who have deeper pockets, no problem. Um, but it will eliminate some of these, you know, mom and pop middlemen, uh, you know, as I call them, third party vendors, right? Um, that would eliminate that. But no, there's not been any discussion that I've heard. It's been all speculation and talking heads like myself that's talked about it. Um, have time for a few more questions or comments, please. If you've got any, drop those in the chat. Um, I will do my best to get to those over the next uh, next five or so minutes here. Hey, Ramakrishnan, how are you? Um, based on current scenarios, it's safe to assume that it will take 10 years to get green card from the data filing priority date for Indian nationals. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, you've followed me for a long time, Rama. You know how I feel about this. Um, I've used that 3,800 as kind of a, an estimate, right? And, you know, I'll continue to stick by that even with this retrogression. Um, I just feel like if, if you look at, you know, current, let's say May 2012, November 2022, that's on dates of filing, okay? It, it, it lends itself to show you 3,836 days. So I still like to utilize somewhere in that 3,800 ballpark as kind of my, my current estimate. So again, if, if we want to take an example um, from, from the stream here, and let's say Kalyani, who was at May 2015, right? May 2015, where, where does that put Kalyani? Well, you know, it <laughs> to get to that 3,800-day that mark is probably 2024. Let me see, March 2024. I mean, literally the end of 2024 for Kalyani is 3,500 days. So literally... Now we're into May of 2025. It's pretty crazy when you look at it like this, just saying, okay, May 1st, 2015, 3,800 days. What does that mean? I mean, it, it literally is tracking it at over 10 years right now, Rama. So that's Oct October 1st, 2025. For Kalyani, who is a May 1st, 2015, um, is 3,806 days. Now, granted, these are just kind of um, pie-in-the-sky calculations, but, you know, ultimately, um, I think it, it will hold true in, unless something drastically changes. Kalyani asks, what will happen if USCIS reject EB1CI140, though someone already had an I140 and EB2 and EB3, then they should be okay for the EB2 and EB3. Um, it, it, I don't believe it has an impact, the EB1C rejection on the previously approved I140s, as long as you're working for the current employer. 
Uh, Mary said, when they said pending applications are 40K and EB2 India, would they be processed according to priority date as 2014 applicants also filed for AOS? Yeah, it should be filed in the priority of received based on priority date, if that makes sense. There are some percentages of applicants who changed employer and had to go through a whole labor process, but still have 2013 PD need to be adjudicated before any 2014 pending applications. Yeah, go back to October 2020. <laughs> the upgrade, downgrade, um, you know, all of that that happened, significant downgrades that happened and kind of the why behind it. Um, I knew something wasn't right in October of 2020. And, you know, this channel had been around at that point a little over three months. And I had many of you reach out to me and ask my advice. Um, and I advised for almost a year not to downgrade. Um, I had a change of heart very briefly based on a chat with Charlie. And I'm back to should have probably never downgraded. Um, because those downgrade cases, many of which are still currently pending, and it's just, it's a crime. It really is. It's crazy. Um, last question. Have I heard any action from USCIS to figure out duplicate AOS as many downgraded and upgraded on same applications? Yeah, I think that's why you see so many cases pending. Uh, but I, I don't I don't know how they're handling that internally. Uh, as far as I know, those cases could be in some paper box in a cave somewhere. <laughs> um, I say that jokingly, but with some truth and how things actually operate, it's pretty crazy. Um, when you rely on a lot of paper manual processes versus automated digitization, um, you know, that's, uh, that's what creates these issues. Um, and it seems like it's been a, a, a first in first out more recently than, uh, uh, last, last in, first out. All right, last one, Shree. How about December twenty second, two thousand and fourteen? All right, so you need. I mean, USCIS does occasionally do the twenty second. Um, as we've seen, they'll do the twenty second. Sometimes the fifteenth. Sometimes the eighth. Um, you know, you are as literally as close as it gets, right? With that December, um, first 2014 and final action. But let's see here. If I were to go by my calculation that I've been using that equation, that 3,800, which many dispute, um, it says June 1st of 2025. It just doesn't seem right, does it? Um, that, you know, this past September, you were 21 days away and now just kind of basing it on a, 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 multi, a 3,800 day multiplier, you're now at June 1st of 2025. I hope that a lot of these cases clear out over the next year and that your number maybe drops down to 3,500 days, which would be a huge benefit. That would actually put you in 2024. Um, but this is kind of where we are right now. And then last one, Rama says, thanks for answering my question. We always talk about USCIS, but DL is taking forever, perm, and prevailing wage determination to prove what could be the reason for DL to be so slow. 
uh, bureaucracy. They're probably still blaming COVID and they're probably blaming lack of uh, human resources, lack of human capital um, and ability to uh, process so many cases. And again, these are human beings that are that are dealing with these right um, prevailing ways determinations for LCAs. You know, those are turned around pretty quickly, but prevailing ways determinations for perm. Uh, you're looking at three to four months perm labor. You're looking at right now, I'd say still about 18 months from when it's initiated to when it's certified. But that's also why you got to use somebody like my good friend, Carl Ballsmeyer at perm-ads.com. Carl can help condense that process. And so uh, mention that to your employer if you're going to be going through uh, perm labor certification um, that you heard about perm-ads.com from the H1B guy, and they should reach out to them to see how they can reduce their cost and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising. So I'm going to wrap this up. Wanted to thank everyone who took time to join me here today. Really appreciate your continued support. Um, as I mentioned, there are ways to help produce the H1B guy uh, platform um, and, and the content that we put out here on this channel and on the h1bguy.com via the link in the video description below. You can support me through the super thanks function uh, if you're watching or listening to this at a later date. If you're listening to the H1B Guy podcast, um, which this will post out later this afternoon, um, just would like to say thank you for taking the time to listen uh, on audio version. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a rating, would really appreciate that as well. Um, today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada. The ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Synthesis and Path to Canada are your answers. They'll gladly help you navigate the process. And if you'd like to find out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below. And someone from Synthesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. And as I mentioned, perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you want to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let my friend Carl Ballsmeyer and his team at perm-ads.com help you. And also by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Mob Squad helps technology professionals facing U.S. work visa-related uncertainty remain working with our current U.S. company nearshore from Canada, as well as technology professionals from around the world who are seeking an opportunity to find a rewarding career in North America. Through their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse in as little as eight weeks. So whether you're looking to stay working with a current U.S. company or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, please find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Join the squad. Again, last time, please like this video. Make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guide channel here on YouTube and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today. Um, wanted to thank those of you who bared with me through those technical difficulties, was having some buffering issues about midway through the video. Uh, but thank you to those of you who've made it this far. I uh, really appreciate your taking the time to watch my live stream um, and take time to watch this video. I just really appreciate your support. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Follow me on Twitter. Join the H1B Guy Telegram group. Uh, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, um, 
But if you check out the h1bguy.com, if you haven't been there in a while, there is a library of content. Um, I'm Robert. I'm the H1B Guy, your global source for all things H1B.